Hello and welcome to the Southwest Londoner World Cup preview podcast. My name is Max and I'm joined by Paddy, Matt and Ben to discuss Group C and D. Hi lads, how are we? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Dandy. Dandy, always good to hear. Uh, we'll kick off, Paddy. You had a little look at Group C, uh, what we have together. Um, and I'd like to sort of have a look at your four to one grouping. So who's going to come last, then third, then second, and then first? I think it's probably a safe bet to say Saudi Arabia will be bringing up the rear. That's not to say that they don't have any hidden gems, but they don't have any hidden gems. Um, you've got a little bit more knowledge on Saudi hey, Arabia than me. Salim al Dosari is an excellent player, mate. So. Okay, I've heard that he will pose the biggest threat to his side <laughs> off the wing. Um, the real battle in this group is between second and third, and incidentally, will be decided, we think, by the opening fixture between Mexico and Poland. Uh, two sides that boast some decent calibre names, players, but are uh, f- fallen prey to an ageing spine um, and a sort of lack of vision, direction from their respective managers. Um, I don't know about you, but we, we, we tossed and turned yesterday. We did, we um, did. I reckoned that Mexico would edge out Poland merely due to the fact that Poland have failed to look convincing in, well, in however long I can remember. And you know, Robert Lewandowski despite all his uh, all his greatness ref- refuses to admit that the service is not there for him yeah. I don't know about you well he, well he hates scoring at World Cups doesn't he he's uh, pulled a big fat zero for uh, for the last of many he's qualified for um, and then yeah and then I guess we sort of the, the pretty obvious top of the pile will be Lionel Messi's Argentina um, which we both thought were a bit of a shoe in and may go deep into this tournament. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think this is a very good chance for them to do so. I think there was a big element of fear eight years ago when they got to that final, and and Messi was. It felt as though Messi had spurned his chance mm-hmm. um, at global glory. But all of a sudden, they're thirty-five games unbeaten or something going yeah, into Yeah, a, a massive thirty-five game unbeaten run, um, which is great. So we'll go into a little bit more info about uh, our group C but Matt group D talk yeah. us through it so, so we've gone for Australia to lose this group uh, but them and Tunisia who we've put third there's not too much to separate them I think they're five away from each other in FIFA's world rankings uh, and in this one there is a clear one and two but which will be one and which will be two is less clear because France and Denmark are in there and obviously France the reigning champions but Denmark can cause an upset and they've obviously come off the back of a good Euros, a better one than France had in the last international tournament. So I think there's scope for a surprise in Group D. Yeah, I think they, uh, they beat Denmark, uh, beat France um, in the, the Nations League, I believe, one of the, one of the last competitive games um, France plays, or both teams played before the tournament and, and France have also got to contend with um, a host of injuries. They've got Paul Pogba and N'Golo Kante who, who started in the final four years ago, both injured and there's a lot of concern at centre-back with um, Varane and Hernandez and Koundé who are all sort of nursing injuries and working their way back to full fitness so I think this is a France tournament that a France team rather that will get better as the tournament goes on but if we're looking at the group stage maybe where there's players not quite fit there's 
some rumours that uh, Deschamps is going to move away from a back five to a back four. This, this, this could be a chance early in the tournament that, that Denmark can get themselves a win over France and, and, and secure themselves top spot. But yeah, I think as Matt said, it's, it looks like it's going to be pretty obvious. Uh, you think that, that France and Denmark will contest first and second place and Tunisia and Australia will be behind them in, in third and fourth and we, we have it in that order. What do you make of France's injuries going into the tournament? Will they be hampered by a lack of continuity going into the tournament? Possibly, but on the back of a bad Euros and an also pretty bad Nations League campaign, the established players like Pogba and Kante perhaps were not part of a winning formula quite yet, mm -hmm. or quite anymore rather. Um, and it might be good for them to get some fresh blood in there. Although, saying that, their midfield does now look weak. It looks like they're going to have to start maybe Rabiot and Ganduzi in a two, which is certainly not the same as Kante and Pogba four years ago. Well, that's um, what you like about yeah. oh, Sideshow Bob, but... <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, and they've also, like, even I think since we, we wrote our written preview for the group, um, Nkunku's got injured as well, so they're going to need to rotate their squad again. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of potentially not debutants, but very, like players in there with very few caps. Uh, I think also the, uh, I mean, you look at the the options that France have got at the top of the pitch. The the, the midfield, you know, I said you've got Guendouzi in there. Um, maybe maybe Chimeni from Real Madrid might might play, but it's not going to be a case that the midfield. Is you know the mid the mid the midfield was already perhaps a weaker spot as you mentioned. You know, Kante and Pogba were a bit injury prone, but the you know the the attack that they boast with Benzema, Mbappe, Griezmann, Ousmane Dembélé, it could just be a case that those those midfielders just need to do a role, do a job, um, and just give 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 the ball to those forwards and let them um, let them win the game because I don't think I don't think this uh, this France team is lacking um, or will be lacking any goals um, so. Yeah, it's it's maybe a case that they that they can get away with a larger midfield when they're so stacked um, further up the pitch. Yeah, I mean at the back, would you say after a pretty stellar first period of the season, would William Saliba be in line to to play to play at centre back or stuff for me? I, I I think I think Deschamps should start him. I don't know whether he will. I think um, you often see in these tournaments that the managers. I mean, you can see it with Southgate and Huey Favors that they fall back on their tried and attested centre-backs and you might see someone like Varane, someone like Kunde, someone like Hernandez who maybe aren't as fit but are guys that have been in World Cups before, been in and around the French starting eleven for a longer period of time. It could be the case that that, that he he goes with them but then again if they're not fit and Saliba starts and <clears throat> plays well like he has been for Arsenal then it could be a case that he, he, he can keep some of those more experienced centre-backs out of the team. Yeah, definitely. I suppose then you, uh, you'd have to look at their main challenger and Denmark, you mentioned. Um, I've got a pretty decent side. Um, yeah. Where would you say that they'd be strongest in the pitch? Uh, definitely defence in terms of strength and depth. They've got a really good potential back three of Joachim Andersen, Simon Kier and Andreas Christensen. All very good defenders but also very good on the ball. Um, being able to feed Christian Eriksen in front of them, who's without doubt, I'd say, their outstanding star player, who everything will go through for him. 
the problem with Denmark is up top they've not got an established front man uh, it's unclear who's going to start uh, down the middle for them Martin Brathwaite's got the number 9 shirt for this tournament but I'd be surprised if he's the starter um, they've also got various other Dolberg's in the squad Paulson's in the squad um, yeah so that's definitely where they're lighter whereas, whereas France to do well in this tournament will probably be relying on individual moments from players like Griezmann, Mbappe, Benzema for Denmark it's very much going to have to be methodical using a system to get their less gifted attackers good opportunities Yeah, I think also the uh... The, the fullbacks or the wingbacks, um, Joachim Mela and probably Scott Olsen <coughs> might end up playing wingback or he might end up playing further up the pitch. I mean, Joachim Mela had a fantastic Euros um, for that for that Danish side that got all the way to the semi-finals and I think if you're looking again, as Matt said, that, that a system over sort of individuals, then then the system that, that they've got and the system that Denmark play is perfectly set up for Mela and Scott Olsen to, to get high up the pitch and, and, and to influence the game. So. Yeah, I think they've probably got the more rounded squad and, and probably greater cohesion and understanding of their system, but it's difficult to bet against a France squad that even with those injuries is still littered with arguably the best two players in the world, probably in Benzema and Mbappe right now in current form. So, yeah. It could either be a very interesting or a very, very dull game of football by yeah. the sounds of things. Yeah. yeah, well, they were in the same group last time around in Russia 2018 and... That was an atrocious game between the pair of them. So, uh, uh, and then Denmark had the upper hand in the Nations League as well. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I suppose if we look at Tunisia and and Australia, and I think Australia's golden generation is long gone. Really, uh, they got sort of Matty Ryan, Aaron Moy, sort of only real golden generation is used very loosely <laughs> yeah. well, for the Aussies I'd give I'd yeah, give that the, their golden the generation soccer, I, would, I would say it would be 2006 well that's, win, that's, that's why it's hence long gone my friend yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. so and I, I'd say you know Matt Ryan and Aaron Moy would be the only real standouts um, yeah I mean when, when I was when I was looking into this team um, you, you never really want to see under key players sort of stalwarts it never really implies mm. That the next generation of particularly um, offering much hope. I mean, they've got Aaron Moy and Jackson Irvine who play for Celtic and San Paolo, um, who will offer experience and 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 leadership in central midfield. Um, but I think a lot of their problems are, as you said, just a, a lack of real quality um, in that squad, and also players that are playing a lot. Their their first choice centre back pairing um, during qualification. Harris Suter and Kai Rouse um, basically have been have been coming back from huge injuries and haven't really played much. So it's a case of a, an ageing squad that hasn't got a lot of sort of promise and, and excitement heading into this tournament. Um, that that look, anything can happen in a World Cup, but I think if I was picking a team to, to upset the odds um, in any of these groups, I don't think Australia would be that team far removed from the days of Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka yeah, and some might call it the golden generation <laughs> I'd be referring to Aaron Moore <laughs> oh, as the golden not. generation absolutely maybe not. they can maybe they can get uh, Tim, Tim Cahill resurrected and, and, and stick him back on the pitch well he is in Qatar 
Wow. He uh, is the Final Boy. He's the, like, he's the director um, of the Aspire Academy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe give him a call. So maybe see, see if he yeah. can do a job as a striker to open the gate on, oh, the, yeah. the, on the sideline and do, yeah, do a job for them. And then Tunisia seems like much of the same as well. It seems yeah. like another aging squad to an extent. Um, all I can think of is Wabi Kazri. Yeah, we, he's come back into the side actually after a, yeah a few games out of it. So it'll be interesting to see whether he plays. Um, what they do have is a strong defence. They don't tend to concede many goals, but also they don't tend to cons- uh, play against teams with the quality that France have to offer. Uh, Elias Skiri, their holding midfielder, plays for Cologne in the Bundesliga and he is one of their better players who could be quite important for them in this tournament if they are going to do anything. Uh, What you might say is interesting is that in the context of the group with France being favourites they are up against three teams who like to sit back soak up pressure and with France's midfield being light they might struggle to generate chances against these sort of teams so there's maybe potential for a lot of points dropped but it seems unlikely. Nonetheless, yeah, well, I think I think that's all we mainly have to say for Group D. So I, I guess we'll move over to Group C, and um, I think I think we'll start with your your prediction to win the group, um, Argentina. Um, I mean, obviously Lionel Messi sticks out as the captain and, and talisman, but but who else sort of makes up that that impressive side that has gone unbeaten for for thirty five games now? Is it? Yeah, so it's a 35 game unbeaten run, which is um, which is absolutely massive. Um, I think aside from the obvious, you know, Messi factor, um, I think like, we've had a look. Both Paddy and I have had a look at Argentina, and um, obviously, as as a as a stereotype, Argentina normally have a stacked attack, which is arguably still true. They are they offer Lautaro Martinez, DiBala, Julian Alvarez, uh, obviously Messi. Joaquin um, Correa, so they're still very talented up front, but I think this time they may have the defence to, to match it. Um, they're back to will uh, their manager Lionel Scaloni stuck with Christian Romero and, and Nicolas Otamendi as their main back two, but they still have um, Lissandro Martinez, who's obviously been in fantastic form for United. Um, Romero really is their leader um, at the back. He's obviously been playing very well for Tottenham in the Prem. Um, they rely on him for quite, as quite a physical presence um, and sitting in front of him they like to operate with a, a two which will most likely be uh, Paredes and probably Rodrigo de Paul but they're unsure who else. Uh, the big loss for Argentina is Giovanni Lo Celso who was playing really well in their structure um, <coughs> for, for a, a long period but has been injured so is not uh, available which is a little bit frustrating. I think the thing with Argentina is they now have that core, they now have that spine that isn't just a front three, you know, Paredes and the whole, Martinez, even Otamendi, like Christian Romero going into the tournament, he was injured, wasn't he, for Spurs? So even then there's there's still a spine, still a significant And at the base of that spine, there's a lot to be said, I think, for having a settled goalkeeper, finally, in Emi Martinez. And I remember the last World Cup when they uh, played Croatia, when I think it was Caballero got lobbed by Rebic, and that was an embarrassing goal, just to to top off a poor tournament for a number of their goalkeepers that I think got rotated in and out. Definitely an area which Argentina have always struggled. I remember Julian Speroni was the second choice keeper for maybe a decade 
Um, I don't ever think he got any caps, but it was something to be said for the lack of strength in that department. And Emi Martinez is almost, well, Messi was you know, glowing oh, praise, yeah. almost entirely responsible for, for that um, Copa America win last year, was it not? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think they, they look really good they going do. into the tournament. I think you'd be a fool to write them out. And yeah. Also, I mean, I guess just a, one, one final point was, you know, we talked about them being settled um, with their goalkeeper choice, but also up front, it felt like maybe four years ago, eight years ago, they had almost too many strikers to pick from and mm. they, did, they didn't know who to play alongside Messi. But now it seems like Lazaro Martinez has really sort of taken that mantle and, and he is yeah. that sort of settled number nine that they can structure the team around. Yeah, he does a lot of the running as well, so it allows Messi to sort of... Uh, Do what he does for PSG. Exactly that, you know, settle in and, and defend a lot. You know, he doesn't enjoy defending, it's pretty evident for that. But when he has the ball, he can then find Martinez, who's... Um, so he loves it, really. He's a pretty complete forward, isn't he? Yeah, he's good in the air. Good finisher. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, we both think Argentina will go really deep. Um, I think their biggest challenge will be um, their fellow South Americans. I think Brazil will be... Uh, who are the last team to beat them back in 2019. Yeah, Opta reckons they're the two favourites to go the distance. Yeah. If we trust AI. That well, is. That's, that's a whole topic for another podcast. <laughs> um in terms of second and third, I think you 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 pipped Mexico uh, to to just finish above Poland. What what was the uh, the thinking there in terms of Mexico getting the job done? We hadn't denied about it for quite a while, and we had eventually went Mexico sort of on a whim. There's something to be said about both these sides. They are not settled. You know, the the run into Qatar for Poland has looked really poor. They got through through the playoff very fortunately Sweden were pretty dominant in that in that fixture um, and, and in, in the end it was the taking of their chances which meant that they got through um, to the, the World Cup finals and, and they will be leaning on their finishing um, they've got a really like reputable squad list like some big names in there but again they just haven't made it work at previous tournaments they're giving us no inclination as to like whether that's going to change and with Mexico they've got they've got an upset in them and they do do well at tournaments traditionally they I think that was they've reached the round of 16 at the last seven World Cups wow. they yeah they haven't lost their opening group stage encounter since 94 they shocked Germany in 2018 when Irving Lozano that was I think his first game at a major tournament for Mexico mm -hmm. And, and scored past Neuer as they progressed um, in 2018. I, it's a sort of inclination thing more than anything, but don't get me wrong, I'd love for them to do well. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I guess they, they play each other first, So and Poland, uh, interestingly, haven't won their opening game at a World Cup since 1974, which is a pretty tough stat. Um, Yin and Yang, isn't it? Exactly. Sharp, sharp stark contrast. Yeah. So to have your most important game hinging on a on a historical match that you're not very good at yeah. is quite difficult. It's, yeah, I'd like to see Lewandowski really seal that legendary status on a national stage. He scored something like 80-odd goals for Poland, but he never scored at a World Cup. I think he's got a few Euros, but it's it's always been something that was restricted him, which is 
obviously goes without saying when you when you're Polish, unfortunately. But there are there are good players around him. You know, Zielinski, Glick at the back, yeah. Matty Cash. Oh All names, aren't they? But they just <laughs> haven't made it work and international football we know we know how much of a lottery it can be. Could the goalkeepers be a big a big factor with Chesney uh, historically absolutely atrocious at tournaments and Guillermo Ochoa always turning up with this was another, this was another factor uh, the the sort of cult favoritism that, that Guillermo Ochoa just feeds off like Pac-Man <laughs> like it's so it's infectious and I cannot waste 34 35 now I think or oh, it might be older I think than that he's, yeah um, so he's but you know ever since 2014 he's just been a, a gun in net between oh uh, for, for Mexico and I just can't wait to see those curly locks on my on my screen <laughs> although we did reckon it would be quite a drab fixture we did yeah in Mexico it doesn't promise good things I mean we'll be tuned in because it uh, we reckon that the outcome of group um, of of group C hinges on that fixture yeah I mean the, the I guess the other um, country we haven't talked about um, is Saudi Arabia. Uh, I mean, I, 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 seem, I seem to remember their first foray onto the World Cup stage didn't go particularly great in 2018. Is there any sense that it could be better this time around? Uh, I'd say uh, probably not, <laughs> um, is, is, is what I would say. Uh, they, I mean, let's, we've talked extensively about Mexico and Poland and about how close that will be. They end up cancelling each other out and Saudi Arabia nick a point or nick a win here and there, who knows. But on paper right now, I think they were uh, they're, they're relatively solid at the back. Uh, Renard has picked a, a, a squad dominated by, uh, well, so they're exclusively of Saudi Pro League players, so they're all domestic league and 12 of the 26 are with uh, Al-Hilal, who are the current AFC Champions League holders. Um, they're pretty solid at the back. Um, they won sort of five of their seven group games 1-0. Um, but that obviously points out the fact that they can't really score goals. Um, Renard's most... Uh, his, his biggest selection headache is um, trying to decide who he's going to lead his line with. Um, it's a bit of a toss-up. Um, this sort of ineffective lone frontman Firas Al-Baraikan um, is the one he's been going for recently. But um, his other option is uh, the very ex experienced but often very inconsistent um, Saleh Al Shari. Um, excuse my pronunciation. Um, it's it's a very interesting one, isn't it? Having a national squad which is exclusively made up of players from the domestic. Do, do, yeah. do you think you know we we often, we often talk about um, cohesion and the sort of understanding of of a system and and maybe this this tournament more so than most because there is so little time between the last domestic games and the first uh -huh. game that having I can't remember 12 of the 26 yeah. playing at the same but team it's, it's it's like it depends how you look at it like if you had you had your Sunday league team facing up against Argentina now not comparing Saudi Arabia to that <laughs> but it's a completely different calibre yeah. of football yeah. like the they lack top level experience um, the Saudi FA tried to tackle that in 2018 by loaning out a bunch of players to Spanish lower league clubs uh, apparently that didn't really work um, as a result 
Renard doesn't know who to play up top. No. Like, let alone, like, that's already an issue in itself when you're going into a tournament. You don't know who your number nine should be Mm. for yourselves, let alone when you're playing against Argentina. So it's it's very interesting. Um, I don't expect them to to do particularly well. Uh, And it's very interesting during a World Cup, which is riddled with so many uh, humanitarian concerns that we see Saudi Arabia, Qatar and Iran um, bringing, bringing themselves to the to the global stage, um, but I don't expect them to do well. And you know, hey, hey, quote me on that. Well, I, I, prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the big thing that Saudi Arabia have um, over everyone else is a fan following. They are they've bought the third most amount of tickets at the tournament, um, which is uh, around one hundred and twenty thousand um, across the tournament. It's quite a lot. Um, you know, hopefully the uh, their fans can can get behind them and. Cheer them, and they do have sort of they do the have stage. a reputable manager as well. Yeah, he managed yeah. Morocco. He it? did, yeah, and, and did they, pretty well with they, Morocco. Yeah, um, they, they he took them to the World Cup last time out. Yeah, but it, still, again, Saudi Arabian football not my area of particular expertise, but everything I've looked into points towards a a wooden spoon in group in this group. I think that's a pretty accurate uh, finish. Yeah. Um, so I guess that brings us to the close of uh, this Group C's and D's uh, previews. Um, if you would like to go and read a little bit more about each team, then please visit uh, the South West Londoner website uh, for, for all uh, our further coverage. Um, but for now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from the rest of the lads. Ta-da. Goodbye. See ya.